It's difficult to remember a time before the reign of the MCU. <laughs> it's been 12 years since Iron Man, and Marvel has become a sprawling, interconnected web of previously obscure character movies and crossovers that has pulled in billions of dollars. Hi, I'm Michaela. And I'm Nicola. And welcome to the Female, Female Film, Film Fanatics, Fanatics Podcast. Enjoy your movie. Today, we'll be talking about our favourite Marvel movies, so let's get into it. We must, of course, acknowledge the film that started the whole MCU, Iron Man, which we covered in one of our first episodes. Be sure to check the episode out about films that are almost classics. I get a little emotional. Just putting it out there, spoiler warning, if you haven't seen some of the pivotal Marvel films, including the most recent and spoilerific ones, you might want to check them out before listening to this episode. Guardians of the Galaxy was enjoyed by so many people because it was hilarious, fun, and most importantly, had a fresh take that made it stand out from other MCU movies. This 2014 Marvel hit began with the cocky space adventurer Peter Quill as he found himself in a chase with relentless bounty hunters after he stole an orb coveted by Ronan, a powerful villain. To evade Ronan, Quill was forced into an uneasy truce with four misfits. Enigmatic Gamora, gun-toting rocket raccoon, tree-like human Groot and vengeance-driven Drax. But when they discovered the true power of the orb and the cosmic threat it posed, Quill and his crew rallied together to save the universe. Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. I'm gonna die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the galaxy. I absolutely adore this film and you mentioned obscure characters in the intro. Guardians of the Galaxy is the height of obscurity. Marvel kind of just went Let's see if this works out. And it did. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely say I had never heard of these characters before, but I was so excited to see them in the movies. And while this film was incredibly directed by James Gunn, it shouldn't be ignored that the screenplay for Guardians was written by Nicole Perlman, the first woman to ever be credited as a writer of a Marvel screenplay, which is really cool. Yes, let's get more diversity. <laughs> Definitely. One of the greatest aspects of Guardians as well is the amazing soundtrack. While developing the script, Gunn really focused on Peter Quill's emotional attachment to Earth through a Sony Walkman. He also made the soundtrack represent Quill's mother and her influence on him. Some of the tracks on this killer playlist is Hooked on a Feeling by Blue Suede, Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum, I Want You Back by Jackson 5, and Escape, the Pina Colada song by Robert Holmes. I mean, all amazing hits. Hooked on a Feeling! Blue Swede, 1973, that song belongs to me! Other than the soundtrack, what makes this film one of Marvel's finest? The setting was different from most Marvel movies. It was set in space with unfamiliar environments and characters that provided something new for audiences, as opposed to the typical Earth is doomed scenario. The cast were a likeable and compatible group, with Chris Pratt, Dave Bautista, Zoe Saldana, Bradley Cooper, Vin Diesel, and Karen Gillian. You said it yourself, bitch. We're the Guardians of the Galaxy. 
especially with Chris Pratt. People expected a comedic character to a certain extent from him, but he ended up pulling off a stoic action hero really well. Something good, something bad, a bit of both. We'll follow your lead, Star-Lord. Guardians was also really funny. Between Quill's sarcasm, Rocket's short temper, Drax's inability to understand sarcasm, and Groot's limited vocabulary of the three words, I am Groot, the film has a combination of situational comedy with witty lines. I am Groot. Well, that's just as fascinating as the first 89 times you told me that. What is wrong with giving tree here? But well, he don't know talking good like me and you. So his vocabulistics is limited to I and M and Groot. Exclusively in that order. Well, I'll tell you what. I do agree that Ronan the Accuser could have had more screen time, but he was just a pawn in the larger game that was to be played in Avengers Infinity War by Thanos. With that being said, I'll pass it on to Michaela, who will discuss the Avengers. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people. Well, the assembling of some of Marvel's best characters was such an iconic moment. Hardcore fanatics and casual viewers alike can't fault this film, as it's action-packed, funny, has a great villain, and has a great payoff for those invested in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. For those unaware, somehow, <laughs> The Avengers is the culmination of Phase 1 of the MCU, bringing together superheroes to fight against a common enemy. Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, the Hulk, Black Widow, and Hawkeye combine forces to fight Loki, Thor's brother, adopted, as he tries to use the Tesseract to take over the Earth. I remember seeing Avengers in the cinemas and it just blew my mind. The amount of uh, action, the amount of CGI, and the, and the really amazing part was seeing the amount of iconic superheroes in just one film. Exactly. It's a straightforward plot but has standout character moments, allowing the audience to become giddy when Thor, Captain America and Iron Man face off in some woods. <laughs> It effectively explores the differences between characters that we've seen succeed in their methods in solo films, with Cap sacrificing himself for the good of the world, or America, at the end of his movie, and Tony Stark revealing himself as Iron Man, setting off a media circus at the end of his. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed seeing the relationship with all these characters, particularly uh, Tony Stark and uh, Steve Rogers just butting heads. No offense, but I don't play well with others. Big man in a suit of armor. Take that away. What are you? A uh, genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. <laughs> yeah, and Bruce Banner and Tony Stark, science bros for life. <laughs> Banner, your work is unparalleled, and I'm a huge fan of the way you lose control and turn into an enormous green rage monster. Well, the film has three very distinct acts to it, and this structure really benefits the story. You see the heroes meet, then argue as they try to figure out one another, and finally come together in an epic fight against the Chitauri. The soundtrack is also nothing short of perfection as well, getting the viewer excited to see the action unfold. Yeah, the Avengers theme really plays into the epicness of the film and is going to be one of those instantly recognisable scores. Definitely, like that Avengers theme is so good. While the MCU gets some flack for being too family friendly, the Avengers was almost R-rated. Worried because that would limit its selling power, the studio took three attempts to gain the film's PG-13 rating from the MPAA. 
all hinging on that memorable scene with Agent Coulson. They definitely made a good call keeping the MCU family friendly. They would have cut out a decent chunk of viewers if they kept it R-rated. I mean, Deadpool is one in a million. Well, Gwyneth Paltrow's Pepper Potts walks around in bare feet for her scenes with Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark because of the height difference. Tony is supposed to be taller than Potts. However, Downey needed to wear platform shoes to gain the oh-so-important centimetres. <laughs> Can you please tell us one thing about Robert Downey Jr. that we might not know? He doesn't like me to wear high heels around him. Oh, really? Yeah. Because he doesn't want me to be taller than him. Because <laughs> he's Iron Man. Speaking of Tony, whenever you see him munching on some snacks in the film, that's not scripted. Downey Jr. hid food around the set and would randomly pull them out mid-scene, which means when Bruce Banner takes some of the offered food, it's just Mark Ruffalo wanting a snack. <laughs> I mean, were they not feeding them on the Avengers set like, that RDJ had to smuggle food around? <laughs> well, I mean, they get shawarma at the end. <laughs> You ever tried shawarma? I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. And finally, at the end of a shooting day, Chris Evans apparently channeled his inner Steve Rogers to get dinner with his castmates and text the group of Avengers simply the word, assemble. Because if we can't protect the Earth, you can be damn well sure we'll avenge it. And with that being said, let's move on to the next film. You're the Spider-Man from YouTube. So three years after the last Spider-Man installment, filmmakers felt it was time to bring us another Spider-Man film in 2017 entitled Spider-Man Homecoming. However, the difference with this version of the character Spider-Man was that he had a goal of becoming an Avenger. I haven't seen every single Spider-Man movie that has come out, but I've seen at least one from each of the Spider-Man actors. While Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield brought their own incredible and unique takes to Spider-Man, Tom Holland brought a perfect blend of both young Peter and young Spider-Man. Absolutely. I think Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield did a great job with what they had. Tom Holland is able to be a parkouring gymnastics kid who... Because Stan Lee was directly involved with it and had input, it's the Spider-Man of the comics and it makes me so happy. Are you an Avenger? Yeah, basically. Now let me give you a quick rundown. This film followed 15-year-old Peter Parker as he was starting to navigate his newfound identity as Spider-Man. Thrilled by his experience with the Avengers during Captain America's Civil War, he returned home to his Aunt May and was under the watchful eye of his new mentor, Tony Stark. Now, Peter tried to fall back into his normal daily routine, but he was constantly distracted by thoughts of becoming more than just the friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. When the Vulture emerged as a new villain, everything Peter held dear was threatened. I absolutely adore Michael Keaton as the Vulture. I think he's the perfect casting, and watching him and Tom Holland fight is fabulous. Really good plot. No, 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 I can't, I cannot do this. Spider-Man is not a party trick, okay? Look, I'm just gonna be myself. Peter, no one wants that. Dude. Yeah, it definitely doesn't need to be overly complicated, I think, and they captured um, the beginnings of Spider-Man really well. Now, let me give you a couple facts. Now, many diehard fans were wondering, where was Uncle Ben? Now, for those of you who don't know, Ben was Peter's uncle, who was very influential in Peter's life, but was unfortunately murdered. Uncle Ben was in the comics and in previous film installments. So why would the MCU decide not to directly include this important character? 
It was suggested that Marvel intentionally avoided the most depressing part of Spider-Man's story in order to avoid yet another rehash of what comes with great power and in service of creating a father figure shaped hole for Tony Stark to fill. I think they made the right call. I mean, that's a constant criticism with any Batman film. It's like, we know what happens to Bruce's parents. You don't need to show us again. (laughs) Don't do anything I would do. And definitely don't do anything I wouldn't do. There's a there's a little gray area in there, and that's where you operate. Yeah, it was a definitely great um, revamp. The title Spider-Man Homecoming actually has a secret meaning. The obvious meaning is that the film takes place at a high school where Peter Parker has a homecoming dance, and the climax partly takes place there. But it also has a second meaning, unrelated to the plot. It's a reference to the fact that Spider-Man has returned home to Marvel after five movies in Sony's hands. You can't just quit on us, stroll up, and be welcomed back by everyone. Hey, welcome back, Peter. But why does this film stand out in the sea of Marvel flicks? Well, Tom Holland nailed both the naive and caring Peter Parker and the courageous and determined Spider-Man. Homecoming offered a relatable villain with the Vulture, played by Michael Keaton, who we know is no stranger to the superhero genre. Vulture wasn't going after world domination, but wanted to provide for his family in any way he could. Not to mention the other amazing members of the cast, including Zendaya, John Favreau, Jacob Batalon, Laura Harrier, Gwyneth Paltrow, Donald Glover, RDJ, and of course, a legendary cameo from the late and great Stan Lee. The action scenes were fast-paced and showed that Spider-Man had a lot to learn before he reached his prime. He got his butt kicked as much as he got kicked. But I'm ready for more than that now. No, you're not. That is not what you thought when I took on Captain America. Trust me, kid. Cap wanted to lay you out. He would have. Homecoming is a joyful, light-hearted, and smart film and is really one of the first to consider what it might be like for teenagers living in a world where superheroes are real. Thank you, Captain. Pretty sure this guy's a war criminal now, but whatever. I have to show these videos. It's cry by the state. Let's do it. Speaking of lighthearted films, we're about to talk about one that is not lighthearted. <laughs> the entire time I knew him, he only ever had one goal. To wipe out half the universe. If he gets all the infinity stones, he can do it with the snap of his fingers. Much like the first Avengers film, Infinity War was a cinematic event that made audiences excited about seeing even more of their favourite superheroes coming together to fight the ultimate big bad, Thanos, the Mad Titan, as he collects the Infinity Stones, items we've been learning about steadily through the different phases of the MCU. We had been waiting to see Thanos again since his first appearance in Guardians of the Galaxy, so his re-emergence in Infinity War definitely did not disappoint. Yeah. Right from the start of the film, you know this over two and a half hour movie means business as you watch a much-loved character killed by Thanos. On the topic of the villain, I absolutely love the amount of backstory we're given throughout the film, which isn't much. We see him quote-unquote adopt Gamora, and we see him on his home planet using the reality stone to give us a look at what it used to be. This is all valuable, but doesn't give us his entire life story to the point of making him boring. He's still mysterious, and that makes him scarier. You can tell this guy is a bad dude based on the fact that he is scaring like 30 superheroes. Absolutely. There isn't much time for jokes in this Marvel film, but they still get away with a few, which is awesome. It's still an MCU film, and so we get an enjoyable movie while still experiencing a heart-wrenching, stressful, and memorable film. 
Yeah, this one definitely pulls at the heartstrings, that's for sure. Absolutely. And now a few facts. Thanos was apparently originally going to narrate the film. I'm so glad they didn't go with that. It's It can be a drag to have constant narration, and it's not something that was ever in a Marvel film, really. And also having the villain narrate would be kind of weird. I like your plan, except it sucks, so let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Yeah, I think I definitely preferred just seeing him do it rather than him narrating what he was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, menacing villain? Sure. Menacing villain narrating? Uh... I don't need to get inside his head. I already know he's a mad titan. (laughs) Infinity War was being made concurrently with four other Marvel films, and so Joe and Anthony Russo had to get insights into things like the depiction of Wakanda in Black Panther and Thor's reinvention in Thor Ragnarok, among other key plot points. You seem like a noble leader. Will you join me on my quest? Uh, Let me just ask the captain. Oh, wait a second. It's me. Yeah, I'll go. Wonderful. It all comes down to great communication between all of those filming units. The relationship between Tony Stark and Stephen Strange was based off Fraser and Niles Crane because the writers saw parallels in the arrogance of the brothers on the sitcom and how it could inform how the two heroes could play off each other. A scale hitherto undreamt of. Did you seriously say hitherto undreamt of? Seriously, leaning up the altar of the cosmos. What is your job, Jack, besides? Now I've seen both Avengers Infinity War and I have seen Frasier and I can definitely see the parallels between the two relationships. Howard the Duck almost got an appearance in the film, but that was considered irrelevant. And lastly, though you may have thought otherwise, as I did, Hugo Weaving refused to reprise his role as Red Skull. It's actually CGI tricks and voice impression work that made the audience think that he had reprised the role. I'm not sure if it made that much of a difference. I mean, there were so many people in that film, so many actors that I, to be fair, I don't think Hugo Weaving or Howard the Duck would have made much of a difference. We got one advantage. He's coming to us. We have what Thanos wants, so that's what we use. Well, there's no ducks in the next film, but there are panthers. Oh. The world is changing. Soon, there will only be the conqueror and the conquerors. Now, Black Panther made waves in 2018 due to its inclusivity, diversity, and its original and fresh take to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It had a largely black cast starring Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Gurira, and Letitia Wright, just to name a few. It was led by a black director, Ryan Coogler, also known for Creed, and was set in a fictional African country where the vivid art, costume, and makeup designs were all inspired by African tribal traditions. I absolutely adore everything about this film. I've I've looked at every behind-the-scenes video possible that I could possibly find because it's so interesting how detailed and awesome everything is. Yeah, I know. It was really great. Give to you Prince T'Challa, the Black Panther. So the film goes like this. T'Challa returns home to the secluded yet technologically advanced African nation of Wakanda to take his place as king after the death of his father. 
A powerful enemy suddenly reappears and T'Challa's tenacity as king and as Black Panther gets tested when he's drawn into conflict that puts the fate of Wakanda and the rest of the world at risk. T'Challa must rally his allies and release the full power of the Black Panther to defeat his foes and secure the safety of his people. And it is your time to be king. It's really an awesome film and the action sequences, there's actually something on YouTube where the director breaks down one of the most awesome fight scenes I've ever seen in my life, honestly, and it's so cool. Yeah, it's so amazing, and it's hard to believe that this film has actually been nearly 30 years in the making. I mean, back in 1992, actor Wesley Snipes wanted to play T'Challa, but the movie failed to get the green light from Hollywood. Contributing to the script and wanting to keep it right to the comic book, Snipes and his team found it difficult to secure a deal, so it kind of fizzled out. Now, another fact is that the cast did the bulk of the fight work in the film. Chadwick Boseman, whose skill set includes a comprehensive martial arts background, knew what he was in for when he and all the other actors had to attend a boot camp to prepare them for the physical aspects of their roles. Absolutely. The fight scenes, as I already said, are such a standout of the film and especially Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan do such an awesome job. Yeah, definitely. Um, So just to sort of wrap up, so why is this film just amazing? Well, Black Panther T'Challa is an unequivocal badass. He doesn't have superpowers, but he has the fighting skills, the knowledge and some vibranium to help him. Not only that, but Marvel has also included a strong group of women with the characters of Nakia, Okoye, and Shuri. Okoye shines as the leader of the Wakandan army with her balanced and firm voice of reason, not to be undermined by her awesome combat skills. Nakia never feels bulldozed into the stereotypical role as the superhero love interest. Rather, she's a woman who left her paradise of a home to serve the greater good. Of course, one of the scene stealers of the film was Shuri, T'Challa's little sister. She brought a genius level intellect and innovation to Black Panther, as well as a heavy dose of comic relief. Did he freeze? Like an antelope in headlights. <laughs> now, Eric Killmonger is a fantastic villain, not because of what he does or what he wants, but we understand why he wants those things and acts the way he does. I think the scariest thing about Killmonger is how easy it is to understand his side. It's time they know the truth about us. We're warriors. The world's gonna start over, and this time we're on top. The sun will never set on the Wakandan Empire. Definitely. The the depth of the characters written in this film is amazing, and I'm so glad that it was Black Panther that had these amazing characters. Yeah, definitely. And like we said before, the action scenes were well done. I particularly liked the way the Wakandans incorporated technology into their traditional weapons, like using blankets as shields or and using spears that produce electrical sonic waves. Now, also, the nation of Wakanda was also an incredible character in itself. Through its citizens, royalty and design and established rules and history, Wakanda feels like a living, breathing nation, and we care about what happens to it. And the film sets up a conflict of tradition versus progression, old versus new. I appreciated how the story revolved around Wakanda's status as a country, torn between giving aid to unfortunate countries and secluding itself from the world's eyes. I loved how the conflict tied into the discrimination of black people, and without giving the story away, it really worked regarding the story's progression. 
Now, Black Panther is without a doubt one of the most significant films in the MCU to date because of its place in the pop culture lexicon. It was extremely important to see a film with an almost entirely black cast where the characters were the main heroes of the story. While I'm sure our listeners appreciate that you've kept the story secret, I am going to delve deep into Spoilerland for the next film, so you've been warned. If we do this, we'd be going in shorthanded. Yeah, you mean because he killed all our friends? We owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. If Infinity War was a cinematic event, Endgame was a global phenomenon that blew it completely out of the water. A silent opening credits that excludes the heroes who became victims of the snap in Infinity War lets the audience know immediately that this isn't the regular Marvel film we've come to expect. Like Infinity War, it doesn't hold your hand through the story as some prior Marvel films have in the past. You're expected to know what's going on so they don't have to explain things. So make sure you do your homework before you start watching Endgame. Absolutely, and I know that was alienating for some audiences, but it means the payoff is huge for those that have put in, I guess, the effort of watching all the Marvel films. And as the characters do whatever it takes, you really get to experience the original Avengers cast mastering their roles. Case in point, Robert Downey Jr.'s performance is absolutely stellar. I really wanted him to be nominated for an Oscar, and I'm so sad he wasn't. All of the standout moments of Tony, from his confronting Steve and that heartstring tugging death scene, were improvised by Downey. Well, that didn't work out, did it? I said we'd lose. You said we'll do that together, too. And guess what, Cap? We lost. And you weren't there. No, it was a really good um, performance from RDJ and was a really good proper send-off for him. Absolutely. And on that note, some facts. The scene with Tony confronting Steve was scripted as Tony apologising for everything that happened in Civil War. Clearly, Downey Jr., knowing his character down to the core, decided that wasn't how he would react seeing this man again, and so delivered the intense and emotional telling off we see in the film. I think that's a perfect moment, made even more powerful by Stark's appearance, accomplished with CGI and fall afterwards. The hardest choices require the strongest wills. Similarly, the script had Tony telling his loved ones a final goodbye and all the regular things one says in a movie before passing away. Once again, RDJ decided that wasn't right. He said in multiple interviews that he felt this was the only moment Tony would have had nothing to say, where he would let other people do the talking. Yeah, Tony Stark isn't that sentimental of a guy, so I can understand why Robert Downey Jr. would make that choice for him just to remain silent. Another factoid about the Iron Man death scene is what was cut, and ultimately, upon its release to the public, preferred over the funeral scene. Jeremy Renner, who plays Hawkeye, instinctively went down on one knee as a sign of respect for his co-star, who was the beginning of all the success with the MCU. The other actors followed suit, and soon all were on one knee, with Chris Evans, Captain America, kind of buckling as he went down. It's a really powerful moment, and I and so many were really sad it was cut. Part of the journey is the end. What am I even tripping for? Everything's gonna work out exactly the way... It's supposed to. I love you 3,000. And to lift our mood after those somewhat saddening facts, here's a happy one. (laughs) You know how I mentioned Howard the Duck's almost cameo in Infinity War? 
Well, he got his moment in Endgame, although you have to look closely to see it. Yes, in the now iconic assemble scene, he can be seen amongst the heroes. So get ready, everyone. We're getting another Howard the Duck movie. That's it. No more Mr. Nice Duck. Oh, God. (laughs) And Avengers Endgame seems like a good place to end the podcast. Do you agree with our picks? Were there others that you thought were better? Let us know by tweeting us at FFilmFanatics. Also, in case you missed it, we just introduced our new logo designed by the talented Charlotte Galvin. So make sure you follow her at Charles underscore Mitz on Twitter. Make sure you catch up on our last six episodes on Spotify or Anchor. And tune in for our next podcast, Best Underrated Disney Movies. This is Michaela. And Nicola. And this has been the Female Film Fanatics Podcast. Podcast.